In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God, source of all being, incarnate word and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus had been crucified. I know we know this already, but let us dwell on it just a bit before we turn back to the mountain in Galilee and resurrection and glory and joy. Jesus had been crucified. He was bruised and he was beaten. We use church language sometimes like passion and Calvary that can distance us from the reality of what happened. We speak of Jesus's suffering as if suffering was just something that happened to him, but he didn't just suffer. He was made to suffer. Men who worked for the government hit him with their weapons. He was brutalized. He was arrested, tried, and killed. His body was left out in public for hours until people who loved him were finally allowed to come and take it down and tend to it. And we need to start there on this Trinity Sunday with this human being with him and his friends and his vulnerable body, a body that could get hurt, a body, let us state, that was not a white body, although, of course, so much of our religious art still shows him that way. But this was a first-century Middle Eastern Jewish man with a brownish-skinned body, and although race and ethnicity didn't work in that place and time the same way exactly that they do today, he was certainly a member of an oppressed group of people. And he was perceived as a threat by people with power. And he was perceived as expendable. And so he was killed. Now let's come back to the resurrection part. His friends, some of whom had tended to that very bruised and broken body, more of whom had fled away, in the very reasonable fear that the same thing was about to happen to them. But all those friends were grieving and stunned, although the wider world wasn't paying them much attention. And then the women, the tomb, the angel, the earthquake, and even for the women, an encounter with Jesus himself. Only for the women, the men who ran away haven't seen him yet. But they received this message to go to Galilee to a certain mountain, and Jesus will meet them there. And there they do meet him, just as he promised. And he says, this one who was crucified, this one who was expendable, says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And then he tells them to go and to spread the good news and teach and baptize. And he says a phrase that we've never heard before in this whole gospel, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as I said, today is Trinity Sunday, a day when we celebrate the church's faith in a God who is both three in one and one in three. And sometimes people will think of the Trinity as a kind of boring math puzzle or abstract logic statement. Sometimes it can be hard for people to get excited about a feast day that is not dedicated to a saint with an interesting story, 
or an event in the New Testament like the baptism of Christ or the ascension. They say this is perhaps the only feast day that is not about a saint or an event, but about a doctrine. And doctrine is a word that can get a bad rap sometimes. But the word doctrine just means teaching. A doctrine is something that is taught. Something the church teaches, something Christians believe is true. But when we're talking about truth, we're not talking about just an abstraction. Truth, if it's really true, is as real as a bruised body, as real as friendship, as real as grief. Because human beings are not abstractions. This material universe is not an abstraction. Life is not an abstraction. And those first friends of Jesus emerged reeling from the most startling events in history. And they looked for ways to talk about their experience. They had to find the words to communicate what was happening to them, to others, and to themselves. Because the one that they loved, the one who had been crucified, was alive again. And not only alive, but alive in power, alive with a new kind of life, flowing with the life of God, the power of God. He was a person like them. They had known him. They had touched him. And yet he was more. He was the Lord. He was the Son of God. He was the Word of God. He was God. Not God in exactly the same sense as the God that they already knew and worshipped and had for their whole lives, but God just the same. One with God. God in the fully realized pattern of a fully human life. A vulnerable life. A body, let us not forget, that was beaten and killed and that this life was the life of God. And they had that conviction about Jesus, and as if that weren't enough, they found themselves also experiencing God within them. They found themselves filled with God, the fiery power of God, the gentle whisper of God within them, empowering them to do new and bold things. God leading them to follow new promptings. God leading them to bring people together across unimaginable divisions. God, the Holy Spirit. So this doctrine of the Trinity, this teaching, it's not a math problem. It's the record of the messy lived experience of real people scrambling to know and to love and to follow God. The Nicene Creed, which we say every Sunday, it's something like the church's lab notebook. It's the compilation of notes on God that Christians put together as they lived out their experience of following Jesus over the first four centuries. And we still say it today as we still run our own experiments in living life with God and experiencing this God, this three-in-one, guiding, prompting, loving. This doctrine, this teaching is the compiled record of generations of friends of Jesus finding words for their experience, mapped out, sometimes sketchy and brief, sometimes more and more systematic, but always arising out of the real world that God made. God loves that real world. God loves it so much. First of all, God created it. 
in that stirring story that we heard at the Easter Vigil and heard again this morning. And after God had made it, God loved it so much that the eternal word of God decided to be in it, decided to be one of us, to feel it firsthand. A person in the real world with a body that ate and drank, that embraced and was embraced, a body that felt pleasure and longing and pain, a body that was beaten and killed, a body that was glorified. And this body is given to us as living bread, the bread of the Eucharist that we hunger for so deeply in this time when we can't share it together. And yet even in this time when we can't share it together as bread, that body is still within us because we are part of it. We are physical members of this body of Jesus that we were grafted into when we were baptized in that name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So God loves this world. God loves human beings and human bodies. And God raised us and our bodies to a new kind of glory and dignity by taking on this flesh of ours. And because of that love and because of that dignity and that glory, God, of course, cries out in anger when human beings and their bodies are violated or brutalized. Right now, once more, we are all too aware of how human beings like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery are perceived so easily as Jesus was by threats, as threats by people with power and how easy it is for their bodies to be seen as expendable and to be killed. This doctrine of the Trinity that we celebrate today is not about abstract speculation, but about the real world, and it impels us for how we are to behave in this real world. And so right now, as this country continues to be rocked by the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, and by the uprising of protests in every place against police violence and against racial injustice, I believe the Holy Trinity is calling us, and especially those of us who are white, to transform our hearts, which means repent, and to work, to do work in the real world, the material, physical world, towards the transformation of our society, to transform our justice and our policing systems so that black and brown children of God are as safe as white ones walking down our streets or sitting in our own homes, and to transform our economic and healthcare systems so that black and brown children of God are no longer getting infected and dying from COVID-19 or dirty water or chemical-filled neighborhoods at rates that are drastically higher than their white neighbors. We are called to work. We are called to pray. We are called to talk and reflect and change our hearts. We are called to do it in this world because loving God means loving all those whom God has made in this real world that God made and came to live in. This is work the Spirit is setting before us in our place and time, in our generation, as part of that Jesus movement that has gone down through the generations, scribbling down its experience of God, breathlessly trying to follow. It's a movement that in every place and time has been about love and healing 
and setting free. In the name of the one who is with us, even to the close of the age. <laughs>